From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, October 22nd. Hongvi Marquez is carefully working a piece of cottonwood root. Chips fall to the artist's feet as he sands, then carves, sands, then carves, carefully shaping a Hopi katsantihu. This is just for demonstration right now, the doll I'm carving, and I don't even know what I'm going to make yet. It's just whatever it comes out to be. Hongvi is the first Hopi artist demonstrating their work with katsantihu over the next few months at the Moab Museum. These artist demonstrations are part of a temporary exhibition called Hopi Katsina. It explores the cultural significance and artistic tradition related to Katsantithu. Non-Indigenous people might know of these objects more generally as Kachina dolls. The exhibit explains how Katsina is a religion and a way of life. Children receive gifts of Katsantithu during ceremonies. They are known to be the spirits of deities, natural elements, animals, and deceased ancestors of the Hopi people. As he works, Hongvi takes questions from people visiting the Moab Museum. Like, what do you do if you make an error? Like when I'm carving? There's really not much, there's really not much you can do besides fix it the best way you can and turn it into something else that will work with it. If it's, if it's really bad. This is amazing because Katsina dolls are in our gift stores all over Moab, but how many people who live here or who come to visit don't realize the symbolism and what they mean to the people? Tara Barish is the curatorial and collections manager for the Moab Museum. An old friend of hers who grew up close to the Hopi Mesas in Arizona came to her with the idea of exhibiting his own large collection of Katsantithu. And he came in and he proposed the idea earlier this summer. And I thought, oh my gosh, what an incredible opportunity to exhibit Native culture today. Instead of, you know, what is so common, you know, displaying the ancestral items that are so... Um, compromising in some ways. Compromising because those ancestral items are largely considered stolen. White settlers would often take what they found on the landscape, collect these items, trade, or sell them. Museum collections are filled with these compromised pieces. Barish says tribal communities have long pointed out how this brings harm to them. She says even the idea of taking ancestral items to, quote, protect them in museums displaces the items from where they were intended to be. And today we know that it brings harm to the cultures who believe that those things were left on the land by their ancestors to teach them. They're, they're part of their ancestors. The staff of the Moab Museum say they made a conscious recommitment in the summer of 2020 to provide a platform for storytellers especially to provide a space for people to tell their own stories in their own words. Barish says that's why she's so excited about the Hopi Katsina exhibit. It's finally an opportunity to honor the wishes of the tribes who've spoken to me personally, that we move toward displaying more of the cultures today in our museums, the way that they want to be presented, having them tell their stories instead of trying to get it right, you know, by surmising that we know. Um, it's, it's phenomenal because having different carvers come over the next couple of months will afford that opportunity. Traditional is my favorite. Uh, 
Acrylic is okay using acrylic paint, but that's just not what I like. Back at the exhibit, Hongvi is explaining his preferred painting style. There are Katsantithu painted in natural tones of green, yellow, blue, and black surrounding him as he works. I love working with pigment paints, going out, getting your own pigments, going out to get your own supplies. It makes it that much more fun to do. There's so many options, so whoever's interested in Native American art, they should stop on by. The Hopi Katsina exhibit at the Moab Museum will be up for the next few months. Artist demonstrations are currently scheduled for November and December. And you can still catch Hongvi Marquez at the museum today demonstrating his painting. Find out more at moabmuseum.org. In southwest Colorado, there's this racetrack called the Montezuma County Fairgrounds Speedway. But it's more than just a track. It's become an establishment beloved by the Cortez community. Sophia Stewart-Rossi with our partners at KSJD reports. It's a Saturday night in Cortez, Colorado. Cars are speeding around in the Montezuma County Fairgrounds Speedway with drivers of all ages behind their wheels. Some of them are kids as young as 10 years old. Sienna Small is in fifth grade. She just started racing this summer season. You gotta keep your focus and if there's a crash, try to avoid it. And- For the small family, racing is a family event. Many generations come together at the Speedway to watch who can build the fastest car and drive it to victory. For Sienna, the family racing tradition is obvious, even from her race car sponsors. And it says sponsored by Grandma and Grandpa. <gasps> That's cool. Jean Williams has been the Speedway's promoter for the past few seasons, and spectators say Jean and his wife, Sissy, really focus on getting kids involved. For example, they started the Kids Shack at the Speedway. The Kid Shack is just a little kiosk that sells everything from snow cones to glow-in-the-dark bracelets to soda, you name it, and more. But more importantly, no kid walks away from the shack empty-handed, even if they don't have enough money. Rusty Bryan is one of the Speedway staff members who helps out at the Kid Shack. He says helping the kids is what the racetrack is all about. There's a lot of bad things that happen in Cortez, and a lot of kids come out here from uh, zero to... 25. They all come out here. They have a good time. Many parents say the Speedway isn't just a fun event. It's an event that teaches structure for their kids. Uh, They have to work on their track, their car, to get it ready the whole entire year. You know, they have to earn money and work towards building it and learn how to put the motors together and order tires. You know, it's a whole year's process to run for four or five months. That's Andy Bundy. She's been on the racetrack since she was five years old, thanks to her dad showing her the track here in Montezuma County. And now Bundy has a kid of her own that loves going to the racetrack. And she also knows how important it is to have hobbies in rural areas. Drugs is a huge thing here in Cortez. And at the Speedway, drugs and even alcohol are strictly prohibited. Melanie Begay works with the counties that care, which is part of the Montezuma County Public Health Department. Communities that care is an evidence-based prevention model that promotes healthy youth development, improves youth outcomes, and increases positive youth behaviors in Montezuma County with the goal of preventing substance abuse. It's important for 
all youth living in um, rural or urban areas to have safe community spaces because when they have an area for youth to go, it's also associated with lower risk of substance use. Begay says communities that care did an assessment with residents and found that there are a lot of unknown activities outside of school for kids. So they developed a youth activity calendar to help promote pro-social involvement. Pro-social involvement is when youth can participate with others and make connections with them, something that Sienna, the new 10-year-old race car driver, enjoys doing at the racetrack. You're going to make lots of new friends. As for when exactly the fairgrounds next season will be, that's unknown. In the meantime, the county says it's looking for a new promoter while still remaining open to negotiations with Gene Williams. For KSJD News, I'm Sophia Stewart-Rossi. Let's go pack it in, guys. Have fun, everybody. This piece comes from our partners at KSJD in Cortez, Colorado. And now the weekly newsreel where we check in with reporters on their latest stories about the Moab area. Ballots have been mailed to all registered voters in Moab City. Voters will be choosing a new mayor and two new city council members. Carter Poppy of the Times Independent discusses their election coverage. You know, when there were 13 candidates right at the end of the filing period for, uh-huh. for the races. And I looked at that, and there, there are three seats, so, you know, plenty of the people running are not going to be elected. And I looked at that, and I was like, you know, this is this feels like a different election than we've had, at least in the two years that I've been here. I've only been here two years. So definitely different from last year because there were so many uncontested races for county elected offices. Right. Uh, I would say, unfortunately, I felt like this year it was going to be really competitive because there were a lot of people and that gave us an opportunity to sort of you know, really grill the candidates about the top issues facing Moab. And so, you know, I just kind of said from the beginning, like, we should really make sure that we're, we're staying on them. Like, we, we should have a plan for right up until Election Day, um, what we're going to do. So tell me how you approached it. You know, I know we're going to get into the election guide that's in the Times Independent yeah. this week. But, you know, how did you... F- form questions and you gave I know um one of the candidates um, made a joke during our candidate roundtable his answers should be 100 words or less yes so yeah I mean with the the reality with 13 candidates is that ideally we want people to just say everything that's on their mind we just right. we'd rather have more information than less but uh we also have limited space in the newspaper <laughs> right every issue can't be the election issue. Exactly. <laughs> and so we decided, okay, what we're going to do is we'll we'll ask two questions each week. You know, we won't be able to fit two answers in, from everybody in the paper, but we can ask two questions, but they have to keep it under 100 words because that's the only way that we can keep mm-hmm. this a manageable size. Yeah. It did have the added benefit, though, of forcing, I, I guess, candidates to be more succinct. So, yeah, the joke was basically targeting our, our very pretty strict uh, word limit, um, but it was it was an important thing to, to implement. So Now, in this week's edition, there is a full-on election guide. Yep. What is in this thing? So, yes, there's uh, a lot of information. We tried to pick the, the top issues we asked about 
and um, revisit them. We this this is not a rehash of our past coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we did was the answers that we didn't publish prior in the print edition we've put into this edition. So if you want to see more answers about housing, this election guide has them. If you want more answers about Mm -hmm. water, this election guide has them. Um, So that's what we've done. We've, we have included their biographies again, just, you know, the election guide we kind of wanted to be our final thing. And so we felt it was useful to republish what we published right at the beginning about who they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's what it's got. But it also has, if if readers are interested to see sort of a longer form answers from the candidates, Mm -hmm. there are also opinion essays in here written by the candidates. So at the beginning of the election, we invited everybody, if they wanted to, to write a 600-word opinion essay whatever they want to write about sure. their soapbox. Right. And we, they were really good. We got to like, I, I don't often come on here and like really brag about their newspaper, <laughs> but like this week is excellent. <laughs> so yeah, we got nine candidates, uh, write us essays and all of them are really good. So that's also in this issue, not a coincidence that it's accompanying the election guide. It's not in the election guide. It's part of the main section, the A section, but make sure to pick it up if you want to see the essays plus the the answers to our questions. You know, what was the most interesting part for you, Carter, about covering election issues for two straight months? <laughs> I would say, I mean, out of that has come just some very interesting conversations. I think the, the KZMU Roundtable also highlighted, uh, you know, Questions about off-highway vehicle noise that, that mm. you asked during that roundtable, I think, were really interesting to hear. And just the, the, the level of attention, we only spent a few of those weeks asking questions about housing because right. um, there are other subjects. But the candidates themselves, you know, many of them brought it back very frequently to housing, right. which, you know, to me, I think is, is uh, important. If I had to pick one issue to report about, it'd be housing. You know, seeing the attention that uh, these candidates have, have paid to that issue and, and the knock-on effects it has throughout the city, um, it gives me some hope that, that hopefully that focus will, will remain mm-hmm. once they've entered office. And, uh, mm-hmm. of course, the newspaper will ensure that happens. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. Um, what else do you want to talk about in the Times Independent? Um, there are more articles. Tell us about what's going on with Arches. Yeah. As listeners might know, Arches is working on a pilot reservation system that would take place in 2022. Specifically, the thought is that it will begin April of 2022. So we have a story in this week's edition uh, just basically about how we got here. Sort of a, a, re, a look back at uh, you know the past two years of discussions about the reservation system, mm-hmm. how they've informed the current ongoing discussion about mm-hmm. how this pilot program is going to look. Um, and this was brought on by uh, the fact that Marco de Leon, who's the head of public affairs for the Intermountain region of the National Park Service, which includes Moab. He and Patty Trapp, who's the superintendent of Arches, attended virtually the Grand County Commission meeting on Tuesday mm-hmm. to talk about the issue before the commission. And the essential message they wanted to send during that meeting was they really want locals to engage the Park Service 
on this subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really want to in, engage locals in turn and businesses and, in, uh, you know, local groups and, and that sort of thing. Getting a lot of feedback from the public about this pilot program, mm-hmm. and I think that's the key thing here is that this is a pilot, is going to inform how they approach it in this first year and also maybe how it changes afterward or if they abandon it, whatever. Mm. The point is Arches needs a traffic management system. Yeah. You know, we all know this, but it's just yeah. like the concrete thing that is important to point back to is during the summer, Arches closed nearly every day yeah. for uh, more than an hour right. each day to let the parking lots clear out so that more people would be able to come in. Mm -hmm. That creates a horrible experience for the people who don't get to come in. So the reservation system, part of the idea behind it is it's been done at lots of parks around Mm -hmm. the West already. I I think that their their belief is it will be the easiest to implement in the time span that we have before the next season begins. So whether it's the long-term solution, again, the pilot will sort of give some guidance on that. But uh, the idea is try it for the first year, make sure that people are giving feedback about how it's affecting Moab and what their concerns are. And that'll frame how it's done the first year, if it's done in the future. So, I think it's great that the Times Independent took a look back to see how we got here. I don't know if many people are excited about this, but we certainly did see it coming. And we certainly know that something has to happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, when they abandoned the reservation system in 2019, the thing that they started at that point was like, okay, we're going to start studying alternatives, such as a second entrance, such Uh as a shuttle system. And the pandemic threw a wrench into some of those things. They have gotten results from some of those studies that they started back that year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we're at a point where the reality on the ground is the visitor experience at Arches right now is very diminished. They need a fix. Reservation system is the, the front of the mind. And because um, it's working at other places, I think yeah. that's what's important to keep in mind. So uh, we'll see how it goes. And finally, let's go to another um, article in the Times Independent that also deals with management and public lands and visitation, all on the same theme in our community. What is happening at Mill Creek? Yes. So another uh, thing that the Grand County Commission has on its agenda, had on its agenda on Tuesday, but they've put it off for two more weeks so that they can review the alternative plans or options that the Mill Creek Canyon Collaborative has come up with. And these are plans for what the future of management in that area is going to look like. Uh As we've reported and and we said again this week, Mill Creek is a place that uh, a lot of Moab has tried to keep hidden. Mm. And it's just not worked. Uh, People are finding it. People are putting on social media. And that's despite the... uh, intentions even of of the city and the county to preempt marketing about it. So uh, Mill Creek Canyon is being more and more visited each year. So uh, they're trying to figure out a way to reduce impacts and figure out what the future of the area is going to look like. So Mill Creek Canyon Collaborative, which is a collection of nonprofits, businesses, government entities, They've all come together to try to figure out, okay, what's the future of this place mm-hmm. going to look like? And it was this year, I believe, that they voted on what their recommendations would be. So they came up with four alternatives, and they voted on the third, option C. And that one got majority support, but it didn't get unanimous yeah. support. But the thing that people should be aware of right now is 
the county commission is going to make a decision in two weeks. Mm. And so uh, the thing that people can do is visit moab84532.wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E.com, because that's where all of these options are. These are what the possible futures for Mill Creek could look like. Again, option C is the one that people have that the collaborative has settled on as a group. It'll involve a change in the parking location. There are a lot of details that uh, we're going to dig into in the in the next week. But the the key thing now to keep in mind now is this is going to be back on the agenda in two weeks before the county. Uh, so a good time to be paying attention to what's going to happen there. Now, what's interesting is there are a bunch of different landowners and stakeholders. The county doesn't make a final decision on anything, but they are a key stakeholder and can have a lot of influence, especially when it comes to uh, the Bureau of Land Management. Yeah, the, the, the importance of this is not because it will be the authoritative decision on what happens. Because, again, yeah. as you said, it's mostly BLM land where Mill Creek uh, sits. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the county has political influence what their recommendations are whether they back the collaboratives ideas or not will have some impact on the future of milk rate carter poppy staff writer at the times independent subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com Today is the last day to register to vote online or in person at the grand county clerk's office Allison Hartford of the Moab Sun News has more from their coverage. So you have to register to vote by 5 p.m. And it can be done online at voter.utah.gov or in person at the Grand County Clerk's Office um, at 125 East Center Street. And so I think that, like, if you live within the city and you, like, have a Utah driver's license Mm -hmm. and um, you have all the voting requirements, it's really easy to register to vote online but if you're like wondering if you do live it within city limits or like if you've moved here and you don't have a utah driver's license Uh um or anything like that it would be really useful to go to the grand county clerk's office um and they can help sort you out and they can also get you registered to vote if you don't have like a permanent address i also wanted to mention um the mobson news does have an election guide that's online Um, Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, we answer a lot of common voting questions, and we also wrote a bit about ranked choice voting. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Moab is participating in this pilot program that the state of Utah is doing with ranked choice voting. And so we talk a little bit about what that is, and then also ballots are being processed by Utah County Um, instead of Grand County because of that pilot program. So we answer a couple of those questions. And um, as of October 21st, um, 178 ballots have been processed by the county, by Utah County. By Utah County. Yeah. Okay, so about, you know, under 200 people have voted so Mm -hmm. far in Moab City. Lots more people could vote. I wonder if people are waiting for some reason. I know, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, if you were registered to vote, by October 11th, you should have gotten your yeah. mail-in ballot. And if you if you were registered to vote and you haven't gotten your ballot yet, you should contact the Utah County Elections Office um, and they'll help get you sorted out so you can vote. Okay, moving on. Um, there are some events, as usual, that we like to talk with the mm-hmm. Moab News about because they've um, highlighted them in their coverage. 
Allison, what do you want to start with? In this week's edition, we talk about um, the Moab Valley Multicultural Center is having their Day of the Dead celebration, which is an annual thing. Um, this will be the 11th annual Day of the Dead Festival, and they're hosting it on Halloween. Um, And that'll be from 1 to 5 p.m. at the Multicultural Center. And so Day of the Dead is this um, holiday that originated in Mexico, but is now celebrated in several Latin countries. And it's kind of like a celebration of life that honors loved ones who have passed. Mm. Um, And so I talked to the Multicultural Center about like why they highlight this holiday mm-hmm. instead of, you know, other holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of said that like this holiday is really good at crossing over cultural boundaries yeah. and that a lot of places celebrate it. And it's really easy for people to celebrate life and loss. So their event will have a live mariachi band. Um, there'll be food and there'll be kids activities and cultural exhibits. Um, And it's free to attend, and um, it also is a fundraiser for the Multicultural Center. So um, admission is free, but you can buy food and other things. Important fundraiser for this important organization. So they're having a mariachi band again Mm -hmm. this year. Yeah, that's mariachi band is back. And there will also be 50 tombs and altars. Mm -hmm. There will be 10 altars, 30 tombs, and 10 pet tombs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're hoping that a lot more people can come um and they're still doing like covid protocols so like it won't be as big as it has been in 2019 but Mm. it'll still be a larger event it's a really sweet um festival and it's so um interesting how moab has really embraced this very cultural event Mm -hmm. um and people who maybe didn't grow up celebrating day of the dead you know now do so every year because Mm -hmm. of the multicultural center all right there's another event coming up soon related to community rebuilds what are they up to yeah so community rebuilds is hosting a fundraiser where they're building a haunted house which is really cool because moab doesn't have a haunted house and if you're a haunted house person it's kind of hard to find Haunted houses. Um, but yeah, Community Rebuilds is making um, their vo- their former volunteer bunkhouse into a haunted house. And wow. it is, so like this event is family oriented. There are going to be a lot of activities for kids, but the house itself is meant to be pretty scary. Um, there will be like waivers and disclaimers to sign. And Community Rebuilds recommends that kids under 12 stick to other activities. Wow. So it's yeah. going to be a 12 and up haunted mm-hmm. house. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I personally hate haunted houses. <laughs> I will not be going to the haunted house. But the other activities sound really cool. They're doing like tarot card readings, fortune telling, ghost stories, face painting. Um, again, another fundraiser event for an important local community organization. Anything mm-hmm. else to mention about the Halloween festivities at uh, Community Rebuilds coming up? Yeah, so it'll be on Saturday, October 30th at the Community Rebuilds campus um, from 4 to 9 p.m. And it's $15 for people ages 12 and up and 5 for under 12. Allison Hartford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's the Weekly News Reel, where we check in with reporters on their latest coverage of the Moab area. Find the stories mentioned today in the show notes of the news on our website and podcast. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.